0: This is Condopedia. Here, we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor
1: mixed in. Okay, uh, hi everyone. I'm here, oh, okay, I'm David, of course, and uh, I'm here today with Jim. And we're going to today talk about a recent decision from Toronto. It is uh, Metropolitan Toronto Condominium Corporation number 1171, who is the applicant and uh I'm going to say collectively the Ribeiro family, uh, but there's there's three respondents. So there's Venetia Ribeiro, Bradford Ribeiro, and Mark Ribeiro. Uh, a, a little bit of a technical note is that uh, Venetia and Mark, they're estranged. They're an estranged couple, and uh, Mark does not live at the unit, but Mark is on title. So what that means is that um, he owns the unit jointly with Venetia. And as a result, he is a respondent. But uh, in the decision before Justice Myers, um, Justice Myers noted that uh, Mark is not really involved in the case aside from being named. Um, so before we Jim and I talk a little bit about the case and what we think and kind of the interplay that uh, Justice Myers dealt with, I'm going to first briefly go over the facts. Um, there isn't much uh, because, as some of our listeners may may have already read our blog. Justice Myers concluded that this application should be stayed pending uh, an exercise of mediation or arbitration. So uh, the judge didn't actually make any substantive findings of fact. Anyways, so in in this matter, Venetia lives in the unit with her elderly mother and her adult son, uh, who is Mark. And Justice Myers categorizes this matter as a neighbor's dispute involving competing allegations, principally between Ms. Ribeiro and her neighbor, Amnat Damak. There are allegations both ways of name-calling, banging on a common wall, and other forms of harassment. Now, the Ribeiros allege that they've been the target of harassment and racist taunts and slurs from Ms. Damak and the occupants of two other units. There was also an incident where Ms. Ribeiro was punched in the face by another owner's boyfriend, and in that incident, the police was involved. Now, I said before that uh, Justice Myers did not actually make any formal findings of fact, uh, but he did, he did he did briefly mention a few 10 bits of facts that I think I should mention. So he firstly mentions that the cause of the dispute is unclear. Ms Ribeiro claims that Ms Damac got angry with her when uh, the board of directors of which she was a member denied Ms Damac compensation in, in relation to a f- flood damage in her unit. Ms Damac apparently says that Ms Ribeiro became angry with her when a ladder fell and made noise to which Ms Ribeiro objected. The condominium corporation's president tried to mediate the conflict but was unsuccessful. Uh, The president also mentioned some other occurrences of incidents, such as swear words being exchanged between the two neighbors and someone leaving dog excrement on the Ribeiro's driveway. With respect to the incident of the assault, um, Judge Myers did mention that it appears that That started because the neighbor's boyfriend did not like where Ms. Ribeiro placed her garbage bin. The boyfriend was arrested and charged with assault um, and the condominium corporation wrote a warning letter to both neighbors. But what uh, was of interest, at least to me, was that Ms. Ribeiro was the only party that was charged with legal fees for the letter. Um, The corporation didn't charge any legal fees for the letter that they sent to the neighbor on the basis that Ms. Ribeiro provoked the incident by the placement of her garbage bins. Um, and then the judges judge Myers then goes on and talks about how, uh, the respondents so Ms. Ribeiro Ribeiro, asserts that this application is at its core dispute about the condominiums governing documents, uh, in essence, noise issues, garbage bin placements and, um, stuff along those lines and uh, those are the facts so I have some interesting I have some initial thoughts about this case from a factual perspective um, we don't have obviously we don't have the application materials before us so there isn't a lot to kind of munch on in terms of whether or not what those like allegations of breaches of the condo corporations government documents are I understand that Judge Myers couldn't make a lot of findings of fact, but from the looks of what the issues are, um, there's definitely some behavioral issues that, in my view, would come within Section 117 of the Act. Another thing is, I do agree with Judge Myers' comments about how this sort of dispute really shouldn't be going into court unless it's absolutely necessary um it's we don't have we don't have the full evidence but it can tell that um there's a lot of acrimony and just unreasonableness possibly on both sides on on this issue but i think the first question jim that i have is Section 132 of the Connell Act right now says that if there is a dispute between the parties with respect to the corporation's governing documents, before anyone is able to commence a compliance application, um, they must first undergo a um, uh, a mechanism to have this dispute uh, resolved via mediation and arbitration. Is this provision uh, was this provision around in the previous version of the condo act no quick
0: answer to that David is uh, this uh, provision was new when the condominium act 1998 came into force uh, in uh, May of 2001 so that new this was a new provision that came into effect at that time
1: and in the previous act when you're dealing with these types of like disputes or, or breaches. I guess that the default step was to basically go to court and with an application.
0: Precisely correct. Yeah, that's what you, That was your remedy was to go to court. Um, and now, of course, you could make lots of efforts to try to resolve these sorts of disputes before ending up in court, uh, you know, letter writing, meeting with the parties um, and uh, mediation, if they would be willing, you know, if, they're, if they were willing. Uh, But uh, Section 132 uh, of the current Condominium Act, when it came into force, introduced mandatory mediation and arbitration for certain types of disputes, as you say, uh, David, disputes with respect to disagreements involving an owner, uh, disagreements in relation to the condominium's declaration bylaws or rules. And so... um, I mean, uh, the, the, the trick, I think, for condominiums is to figure out, uh, you know, now when do you have to go to the condominium authority tribunal or when can you resolve the dispute by way of court application or when can you resolve the dispute by way of mediation and arbitration, um, mandatory mediation and arbitration? Which one of those procedures applies? And so this is a part, a part of the analysis that a corporation really has to undertake, uh, depending on the nature of the dispute that they're, that, the, they're dealing with. Um, the other thing that I find sort of um, notable about this decision is uh, that the court, uh, I mean, the court clearly is saying that this is the type of dispute that the court thinks needed to go by way of mediation and arbitration not by way of court application as the as the condominium corporation chose to do in this case Uh, but uh, you know the court says a few more things a couple of other things the the court basically is saying that these are the sorts of disputes these feuds between owners that really the condominium corporation should be trying to resolve um, uh, in other ways rather than court proceedings Uh, and maybe even trying to resolve them, um, you know, through the dialogue or uh, meetings or that sort of thing, before you even get to the point of mediation and arbitration. I think this court was just feeling like this is the kind of dispute that the, the, Mm -hmm. that the court didn't feel should have ended up in a court application.
1: And I think the main reason, like a big reason why I think the court's, provided such um, commentary is that you know with these types of disputes it's often a lot of he said she said and it's from an evidentiary basis it's there's going to be challenges to try and uh, meet the evidentiary threshold right because oftentimes you're not no one else is around to witness the events um, oftentimes it's, it's not like it's it's like a written communications oftentimes it's verbal um, there's no guarantee that Um, incidents are captured on camera. And in my, in my experience, when dealing with these types of disputes, some neighbors decide, okay, well, if no one has any cameras, I'm going to install a camera and point it right at my neighbor's unit. And uh, oftentimes that doesn't actually um, lower the temperature, it actually increases it even more. Oh, well, and that'll raise all sorts of questions about privacy
0: and all that sort of thing and all that business of cameras on the uh, on the common elements. Uh, But but David, you're exactly right. These sorts of disputes, uh, I think um, drilling down into what is true, you know, the truth can be a challenge. And and the truth or the perspective is going to be different from uh, uh, depending on who you speak to. And so I think what the court is saying is what really needs to happen here is that everybody in this community dispute needs to hear from the others, needs to listen to one another in some kind of effective mediation or meeting process. Uh, And through that listening, effective listening, hopefully we'll be able to come to some agreeable resolution. and. Uh, you know, uh, uh, bring about, uh, 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 let's say, acceptable relations going forward. But, but to me, there are two, there are two real big concerns for condominiums that are grappling with these sorts of situations. One is, what if you end up concluding that you that you can't reasonably deal with one of well one of the combatants. Sometimes condominiums have to deal with persons who are just not reasonable. And so with those individuals, I think the mediation, the meeting, the uh, you know, alternative dispute resolution process becomes much more challenging. So that's one thing. That, and, and condominiums are grappling with that day in and day out, trying to figure out how can we possibly bring about a solution here? So that's number one. And number two is the costs. Because these sorts of disputes and mediation efforts and uh, discussions, particularly if lawyers are involved to assist in the process, they can, that can become very expensive. And uh, uh, I, I, I do agree that if it's possible to solve it in the early stages, it's less expensive But there is this constant concern about who should pay if if one of the combatants is really responsible, should they be covering the costs? And I think what the court is maybe saying here to some extent is, look, in an appropriate case, uh, maybe the condominium corporation should be looking to recover costs uh, that's fine. But if, if for some of these disputes, maybe the condominium corporation should just treat it as a cost of doing business and absorb the costs to try to work with the owner, the owners involved and try to bring about a resolution because that'll be less expensive in the long run for everyone, including the condominium corporation. So this business of costs I, is a,
1: an element I in think, it, David. Yeah. And, and I think like when we deal with these types of disputes at our firm, I think the main, one of the biggest items of the board's concern is costs, right? I think I think the first issue is oftentimes when we have these disputes, um, clients want to have resolution really quickly, and unfortunately, that's not usually the case, especially for dealing with uh, behavioral issues and and conflict of that nature. And with respect to cost, I I can see it. I can really see it from from almost all the angles. I I agree that corporations have to accept that legal costs are are a part of normal corporation operations. It it just is. I also recognize, though, that um, condo owners don't like paying more fees than they have to. Well, you're and, talking about
0: all the innocent owners. Yes. Right? All the, the innocent, innocent owners. owners who don't cause the dispute, who don't create the problem, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, that's the idea is they're not supposed to have to pay for a problem created by one owner. The the trick is to figure out though who is really being unreasonable here? Who mm-hmm. is causing the problem? So I think what the important thing to do is you start off the process with letter writing. Uh, maybe by the manager, maybe by the board, maybe even by legal counsel to try to see, you know, whether or not this thing can be resolved uh, fairly simply, maybe without any request for costs at that stage, depending on the circumstances. Uh, This is something I think to be carefully considered because sometimes the demand for costs makes it blow up into more costs. But so you you try those early letters, you say, look, we're open to discussion. Can we work these things out with you? Uh, Will you meet with us, et cetera? And then when you find out through that process that you really are dealing with someone who's unreasonable and sometimes even dangerous, then I think you decide, okay, let's figure out the proper procedure we need to go through in order to deal with this individual and now, I think it's proper to claim the costs, maybe even including the costs for the early letters at that stage. And so I, I, I kind of like that strategy. One of the things, David, in this case that worried me was this the court here seemed to be saying that condominium corporations deliberately go to court because that is their way to recover costs. And I've never seen that. I've never seen that in uh, that economy incorporation corporation has done that. Now, clearly the court felt that's what was happening in this case, the Ribeiro case, but I have not seen that. My experience is that condominium boards are struggling, um, grappling with a tough situation with, and they just want it to be solved and they want it to be solved with minimal expense and energy and time for the condominium corporation and for the board members, they don't want to get into a time consuming court process where they have to give evidence and, you know, they have to listen to lawyers reports at board meetings about how the, the lawsuit is going, et cetera. That's uh, to my experience, they, they don't want that. They don't want yeah. a court fight. Yeah. Um,
1: especially because practically these court scenes take time. and from from the, I guess, the decision to start a court proceeding to when you actually get a decision. It could be months while well, the situation persists. And from the board's perspective, they are getting legal bills. <laughs> exactly,
0: I, David, exactly. And I, I think that, I'll say again, that I think that there is a, a really uh, valid and worthwhile practical comment that comes from this court decision, which is, you know, condominium corporations, maybe what you, what we should be doing is looking to try to solve some of these disputes, at least in the early stages, uh, without focusing so much on the costs. And just try to get it done as inexpensively as possible in the early process, mm-hmm. even if that means lawyer's letters or or, or that sort of thing. That, or sometimes corporation... even,
1: like, I've I had success with getting agreements between the two parties, because oftentimes... The two parties will say, well, I'm not the one causing the behavioral issues. Well, if that's the case, I can accept, I'll accept your word for it. Let's, let's, let's sign an agreement saying you are, you agree to, to not misbehave. Right. Good idea. Yeah.
0: And, you know, uh, um, bringing it to the attention, the concerns to the attention of everyone, making sure that it's there and that it's being watched. Everybody knows that this is being monitored so that it needs the, the misbehavior needs to improve it uh, needs to be corrected but um maybe in some cases um, uh, where it's not so clear who's being unreasonable it makes more sense to uh, try to play this uh, uh, dispute resolution role in the early steps w- without exacerbating the situation with demands for costs I think sometimes demands for costs are absolutely appropriate because when it's they can clear. be a deterrent. Oh yeah, and yeah. because it can be a deterrent when it's when you're dealing with a situation that's clear. Uh, when it's a uh, a he sh- he said she said sort of dispute like this one uh, nasty comments back and forth between neighbors. I think what the court is saying here look what what we need is uh, to get everyone together in a uh, calm um, uh, atmosphere without demands for costs, and let's get the thing resolved uh, mm-hmm. without escalating everything through some other process. And and I think it's true that the uh, medi- mandatory mediation under Section One Thirty Two is, is an impetus for that. You know, it's it's a forced um, meeting to try to work the thing out. Um, uh, when you've got an unreasonable party, it's not going to work. It, it's it just right. is not going to work, and it's it's that's the weakness in mediation and arbitration, in my view. Um, but uh, you know, in, in, in particular in the mediation process, yeah.
1: and and it could it delays things. It it, it causes costs to be incurred that, well, on the face of it, you might not get back because there's technically no provision for that, even though you can claim it later on, right? So right, yeah, yeah. One other point I I wanted to make about the um, decision with respect to the commentary on cost is I I disagree with the characterization that in a compliance application, the corporation gets a free ride, right? I think like costs, like notwithstanding the, the, the framework under the condo act and oftentimes also under the declaration of the corporation that costs are recoverable in full, the court still retains discretion on this issue. Right? Absolutely. The, court, the court can still, um, I don't i don't want to get into this for this episode, but there's like a set of factors that under the rules of which the courts can look at and determine costs. And there's another aspect is that the court can determine whether the costs are reasonable.
0: Right. And condominium corporations are very well aware of this. Condominium corporations have seen uh, lots of decisions over the years where the condominium corporation does not recover full costs even when the corporation is successful. And so condominium corporations know that uh, if, we ta- if we take this matter to court, um, we may not recover all of our costs. So, so there's, there's no condominium corporation that's, in my experience, saying, let's go to court because we know we're going to recover 100% of the costs. So that's the thing to do. I think condominium corporations end up going to court because they think, look, this is something that needs to be solved by a judge making a decision uh, under Section 134 of the Condominium Act because it's it's really uh, a situation where somebody could get hurt mm-hmm. or there could be damage of some sort. So it's a, it's a dispute under the Act, and we need a court to look at this, even though we may not recover all of our costs. And so, I, again, I just think it's condominium corporations struggling to try to figure out what's the best procedure. What do we need to do in order to bring some sort of calm in our community? You know, calm things down and get things sorted out. Um, that's what I think. So I agree with you, David. I was, I was bothered by uh, that aspect of the decision. I think this uh, Justice Myers was uh, frustrated by being faced with this particular dispute yeah. that he didn't think he he that should have arrived in his court you know after cross-examinations and all the rest um, and that's why I think he ended up maybe going a little bit further mm-hmm. and expressing these concerns anyway
1: anyways yeah so agreed I think you know we were talking about before but the, the notion in in our circles about bad facts can sometimes lead to bad law, right? <laughs> so it's yeah. really
0: true. if you If you have a bad fact situation, it, it can cause the judge to make a uh, uh, what, what, what I will say is maybe an uh, overextended judicial decision on the law uh, only because the facts are so bad. So. Yeah. Bad facts can sometimes make bad law. Exactly right, David. And I think that uh, anybody involved in the law judges too, would admit that that does happen sometimes.
1: So So I think that was a good discussion on this, um, on this case. And um, we've done a lot of these types of applications before. And since I have Jim with his 30 plus years of experience, I'm wondering if Jim could share with us, I guess one of them, if she had a most memorable uh, file on this, in this category in his career.
0: Well, I do have a a number of uh, sort of memorable files, uh, David Uh, but let me uh, say that uh, some of the more memorable ones have been disputes uh, that not only involve owners but involve board members disputes involving board members. And so those can be particularly interesting and challenging to resolve um, because it creates questions about conflict of interest and whether or not the feuding board members need to be excluded from discussions on the board, which of course they would have to be in relation to the dispute. But um, often what I find in those circumstances is that a necessary step is to actually convene a meeting of all the members of the board with sometimes with legal counsel to try to talk it out and get the matter resolved and so I do think that there are circumstances when you when you have feuds and disputes uh, of the of this sort and I've talked about, you know, potential disputes uh, between board members, where meetings can be really an effective thing I've, uh, I've seen meetings work well. So, Uh, particularly when you don't know for sure, for sure, for sure, who is to blame, who is to blame. You can't really tell. Then the thing to do is to meet and make sure that everybody understands what, uh, what the concerns are of the others. Everybody listens to everybody, hopefully. And then you, I, in those circumstances, I think sometimes you can actually bring about a resolution that works
1: and move forward. Like, right. And so for meetings, I'm not like in our time now, like, I don't know, have you had any, like over the past two years, virtual meetings of this type? Uh, I myself have not had any virtual
0: meetings of this type over the past few years. Um, okay. yeah. and, I, and a I virtual have. meeting is different, right? It's different. I, yeah. you, I, I was have. thinking you, you have done, right? I've yeah. done a
1: few. And um, it's obvious, uh, I find with the virtual format, um, it's good in terms of much more convenient. You, If you have a dispute involving landlords Landlord and tenant, if, for example, if the unit is rented and the dispute with the tenant, the landlord has to be involved. But it's oftentimes the landlord doesn't want to they take a back seat. And um, but if you have it virtually, then they don't really have an excuse to say, Oh, I can't attend because of X, Y, and Z. They, they'll show up. Um, I find that obviously it's a bit different in terms of you're not face to face. I find I don't know if it's just me, but I find that when we meet face-to-face, oftentimes our behavior is more, even more cordial, I think, than if it was virtual, right? Because you're right there.
0: Right. Um, I, can,
1: I get that. Yep. Yeah. But having said that, I've definitely seen um, in my meetings that I had that it's, an, it's a great opportunity to meet the other side and get a sense and i get a sense of where they're coming from because sometimes when you read the correspondence the emails it comes off as very uh belligerent or very like standoffish but when you actually talk to them you you kind of get a sense of get understand what the other side is going coming from and you realize oh it's actually not as standoffish as i thought and oh maybe there's actually an opportunity to see if there's some sort of um arrangement in place now it's not in my experience over the past couple of years, it's not every meeting is like that. But when we do get a situation where it, that does happen, um, the result is often very good uh, for everybody involved. So, right. Um,
0: I just think it's a great lesson, David. And uh, look, it doesn't work every time because sometimes you've got someone who's just simply unreasonable. And, and there are a few unreasonable owners and tenants who you just cannot reason with. But what I find is uh, the magic of some property managers is that they are able to, as long as they're dealing with people who are at all reasonable, they're able to work these things out. They know how to talk to people. They've been talking to people all their careers and uh, so the magic of some property managers is that they, they don't have many problems because they uh, do work them out. Now, I'm not saying that a property manager who has a problem, that it's the property manager's fault. That's not my message, because as I say, some of these uh, situations are just you can't deal with someone who's unreasonable. But I just do notice that some property managers have a real magic in their way to deal with, let's say, upset owners, and to calm the situation and somehow to get past it and move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, David, you're describing something. You may have some of that magic yourself. So that's... Uh... I'm not sure. I think <laughs> I've just
1: been lucky with, uh, well, not every, you, you, I think you'll know that not every meeting was success. successful right. in my tenure. so. But in the ones that we did, it's often because the owners, if they're reasonable, we often get a resolution. Right. If there's
0: any room, uh, any sliver of reasonableness, sort of, you should, you may be able to work it out. And I think in those cases, you have to give serious thought to whether or not it makes sense to compromise as a condominium corporation in terms of costs. Because costs, the demand for costs, m- many times I think it's appropriate, but the demand for costs sometimes is an impediment. To getting the thing solved and stopping the flow of co- of costs, mm-hmm. right? If you're demanding costs, you may end up just incurring more. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so these are really really effect uh, worthwhile things to discuss mm-hmm. fairly early in the process. Uh, if it looks like the, the particularly if it looks like the dispute has a potential to balloon mm-hmm. into something big, like mm-hmm. this one did in the Rivero case. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I, I think I, don't, I know we're probably getting to the end of the episode. I think one final message I have is because um, I know sometimes there's a sentiment from boards that well, why are we dealing with these types of issues, right? Like this is a neighbor on like neighbor versus neighbor issue. Like, why are we involved? And I well, think, they're, yeah, they're very frustrating, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're frustrating and they feel like it's 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 such a elementary dispute. But I think the, the well, from the legal perspective, Um, the corporation does have a duty to ensure that um, everything is a-okay on the common elements in the units. And that includes behavior, right? And if the neighbors are in dispute and they live close to by a teacher, that's not, that's not going to be good. Right. Especially if something comes up and it affects someone else. And the other point I think is, and it kind of reflects on the general idea of a condominium living is that it's, it's basically a facet, some facet of society. And I think as we've seen over the past year, people have disputes. So um, whenever there's a dispute in the community, um, I guess you could say it's unfortunate, Or, but, but the board and the corporation as a whole has the a, has a responsibility to, to try and resolve it.
0: Well, exactly right. They've got the statutory duty, uh, Section 17 of the Condominium Act, the statutory duty to take uh, reasonable steps to enforce uh, the, uh, the act declaration bylaws and rules. And so if there's any, some, any question about whether or not the dispute involves a violation, then it's, it's unavoidable. As you say, David, the corporation really has to get involved. And that's actually a wonderful role that condominium corporations can play, even though it's tiring, it's difficult, it's frustrating, uh, what better organization to, uh, help when there is a friction or a tension between members of the community i mean there's there's no better place to turn until you know that it can't be solved and then you have to resort to these remedies you know which is the condominium authority tribunal or mediation and then arbitration if necessary or court and, and uh, those are I, I think what the court part of the message here is that those are uh, last resorts right they want yeah. the condominium corporation to be playing the dispute resolution role independent uh, independently if possible not always possible but sometimes maybe it is
1: perfect Well, thanks, Jim, for taking the time to talk with me about this case. My Um, pleasure, David. I'm sure we'll be back again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at DavidsonConolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.